Happy Father's Day, and I want to talk to you today about the Father's Blessing. It was two years ago in a local newspaper there in Nebraska where they did an article on my dad and about Father's Day, Jerry Arnold and Joy's family, lifetime of helping area kids. They interviewed him, and he is 88 now. He lost my mom three and a half years ago after 65 years of marriage. She was the love of his life. And he had a lifetime of farming, lived on the farm he grew up on, and farmed it for 62 years before they moved to town. And he also invested in his family and the kids of the community. He taught my brothers and I how to hunt and fish and trap. He engaged us in sports. He loved sports. He taught Sunday school taught us how to honor the Lord. He was a 4-H leader. In addition, somehow he found time through 40-plus years to start baseball teams and softball teams for the boys and the girls in the community, and he coached those teams for over 40 years. Somewhere along the line, he even found time to drive a race car, and just after Dee and I were married, he won the Mid-Continent Race Championship. So he really had a, has had a full life. He's had his shortcomings, but he got some things right. Toward the end of this article, the interviewer asked him what advice he would give for parents and children. And he said, just love them. Love them and let you know, let them know that you love them. I really can say that I've been blessed to be the son of Jerry Arnold. Dads come in all kinds of categories. Some of you had wonderful dads. Some of you didn't. I mean, there are painful memories for some of you. For some of you, maybe you had an abusive father or an absent father or one that was just distracted. But this message is a message of hope and good news for all of us because we have, you have, a father in heaven who absolutely loves you. And so I want to talk about the Father's blessing that is available to you this morning, and I want to cite four elements of that blessing, and they're in your outline. Here's the first. The Father's blessing was intended for all families of the earth, passed from generation to generation. It's Father's Day, so it's fitting that we consider the fathers of the faith, the patriarchs, Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and then Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to look just briefly at them, but I want to trace through one of those sons' lives in particular, Joseph, and talk about the blessing this morning and this blessing that is available to us all. But let's start with his great-grandpa. That would have been Abram. And we pick him up in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. 
And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Isn't that a great vision? All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. But I want you to notice that he says, you will be blessed, so you shall be a blessing. That's really a key component of the blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. All the families of the earth will be blessed because through that lineage, down through the generations, ultimately would come Jesus, born to Mary, virgin born, who had come right down that family line, and it would be through Jesus that this blessing offered to all the families of the earth would come because of his life, because of his sacrificial death, because of the opportunity to be forgiven and to have life that lasts forever. That's where the blessing would ultimately come, but it started up the line with Abram. Thirty years ago, Gary Smalley and John Trent Jr. came out with a book called The Blessing. It's now out under the title The Gift of the Blessing. I love this book. And in it, they talk about the patriarchs. And they talk about God's intention to bless generation to generation through moms and dads, starting with Abram. They talk about five elements of the blessing in here. That it would include meaningful touch, spoken word, attaching high value, picturing a special future for that child with an active commitment by the parents to see that future come to pass. Meaningful touch, we know that. That that is just essential for emotional health. I mean, UCLA did a study years ago that said that uh, you've got to have 11 hugs a day just to stay healthy. And so that should happen in the family, between parents and their children. It certainly should happen in the church family as well because not everybody gets those 11 hugs, but we can help on the weekend, okay? Or when we get together in our Ohana groups. You remember when the Soviet Union fell and we were able to go behind the Iron Curtain then? and find that uh, in places like Romania, where there were orphanages and all these children just abandoned, stacked in orphanages, too many to even care for. Someone left on the margins uh, in those rooms and not touched. And those children deteriorated and they died. They needed to be held. They needed to be touched. Meaningful touch is important. And every child needs to hear words spoken that say, you are precious. You matter. You have special gifts and talents. And uh, we are going to do all we can because there's a future for you. We want to do all we can to make it happen. We'll support you. We'll get you the lessons you need. We'll, do, we'll pray for you. We'll help you become what God wants you to become. That's the blessing that was intended. And it was supposed to go generation to generation through families. But even in the patriarch's families, it didn't work. In fact... You can look at Jacob's situation in and of itself. I mean, he was favored by the mother and his brother Esau was favored by the father. And because of that, he stole the blessing from his brother. And then there was hatred and hostility. His brother was ready to kill him. And uh, Jacob fled. They were separated for 20 years 
And there was just a curse in that family because the blessing had been stolen, not just by Jacob, but by the parents because of the favoritism that they showed. Well, now we come to Jacob's sons, and the 11th son is Joseph. And at the time, he was the youngest child. Uh, he was favored by the father. This is what it says in Genesis 37. Now Israel, previously known as Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his own old age. Do we see a problem developing here? He loved him more than all the others. And he made him a very colored tunic, or a coat of many colors. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. I think that's an understatement. They not only couldn't speak to him on friendly terms, well, it gets worse. It says, then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now, those of you that know the account know that uh, this dream had a couple of components to it. But in each one, the brothers ended up bowing down to Joseph. That did not endear him to them. They hated him even more because of that. Well, there was a time when the brothers were out tending the sheep. The father said, Joseph, go check up on him. Joseph had been known to rat on his brothers if they weren't living up to what he thought they ought to do. He'd squeal on them regularly, and that didn't help either. But there he goes. He's going out to check up on them, and they see him coming. And they decide this is their opportunity. See, let's get this kid, and uh, they're going to kill him. And they would have if one of the brothers, Reuben, hadn't intervened and said, no, 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 let's throw him in this pit. And he's thinking, I'll rescue him later. They still would have killed him if Judah, another brother, hadn't intervened when they were about to do him in and said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Why should we shed blood? There's a camel caravan here. Let's, these guys are slave traders. Let's, let's sell him to these guys. And so they did. And they were Ishmaelites. And that's another whole story about a curse instead of a blessing. But I don't have time for that. So Joseph now is a slave. He's being taken by these traders south to Egypt. Pastor Jerry spoke about Joseph here a few weeks ago really beautifully and powerfully when he talked about him having a chain around his neck, chain around his ankles, trudging south, and that's about as bad as it gets. He gets down to Egypt, and he is sold as a slave to an officer in the Egyptians' corps, uh, bodyguard to the pharaoh, and uh, he serves in the Pharaoh, or, uh, Potiphar's household. How did he serve? Well, he served beautifully because it says that um, he wanted to do what was right there. But here's the thing. The brothers went back to the dad, and they took the coat of many colors, soaked it in blood, and just gave it to him and said, we found this. You can imagine how the father responded to that. It says, Jacob tore his clothes and put, his, put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. His heart was broken. It's his favorite son. The blessing had been withheld. And because of that, 
curse came into that family, every one of them. And the sons that had betrayed their brother lived with the guilt while their father lived with the grief. Folks, that happens today in families all the time. In fact, in the book, The Blessing, Smalley and John Trent Jr. talk about five kinds of homes that withhold the blessing. One home is a home that shows favoritism, where the parents favor one child over another. Why can't you be like your sister? And that other child can never quite measure up. One child receives a flood of blessing, the other a drought. Another home that withholds the blessing, they say, is where the blessing is just out of reach, where you can't quite be good enough. Yes, you got B's, but you should have had A's. Yes, you were in the school play, but you really could have had the lead, or athletically, or whatever. And that child is always striving to be a little bit better, better thinking the blessing may come if I do just a little bit better. Sometimes the parents can be long gone. And an older person is still living, hoping for that blessing when it's placed out of reach. For some, the blessing is exchanged for a burden. This often happens in a home where there's alcoholism or drug abuse. And that child is filling a role, trying to protect or whatever, or make excuses, but always keeping it a secret from other people. And there's a burden in that child's life instead of a blessing. Yet another home that denies the blessing is where the family tradition is all important. And there's the expectation that the child is going to take on the vocation that maybe dad or mom had, live up to the same standards or make the same achievements that a parent had carry on this family tradition instead of becoming the person she or he um, has been gifted to become. And the fifth is where there's a partial blessing, where the blessing's withheld, where maybe there's been divorce in the family, which just breaks a child's heart, whatever the age of that child. Maybe a, a parent has deserted the family or just been in the home but then been distracted. There's no real care and attention given to that child. And I really believe, since we live in a fallen world, none of us received the complete blessing. I mean, it's been stolen in a sinful world. The fatherless, and there are many in our culture today who are fatherless, high percentage of kids grow up without a dad. And there was a study done recently that had some startling news, but not surprising. It said children from fatherless homes are five times more likely to commit suicide, 32 times more likely to run away, 20 times more likely to have behavioral disorders, nine times more likely to drop out of high school, 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances, and nine times more likely to end up in state-operated institutions. About 15 years ago, I shared a message similar to this with some similar stats. And about this point in the message, I noticed a, a young mom, single mom, get up and leave. She was just crushed by this kind of information because she had a little guy that she was trying to raise 
And uh, she thought, this is hopeless. And thankfully, I was able to talk to her afterwards. But folks, it's not hopeless. Hold on, you know, for some good news here. But uh, there is a God who cares about those who struggle and are fatherless if they can get the blessing. In fact, David said this in Psalms. A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. Isn't that beautiful? God makes a home for the lonely. He cares about widows. He cares about orphans. He cares about those who haven't had the dad that they should have had or received the blessing that should have been theirs. So God is there with a blessing. We'll get to that in just a moment. But you know, that's why kids today turn to all kinds of things that they shouldn't be turning to. They join gangs looking for some kind of love and acceptance, enter into all kinds of immoral relationships thinking that that's where they'll find what's missing inside, be more pr promiscuous. That's where so much of our gender confusion comes from in a broken culture in America today. Moral standards that have been in place for centuries, ages, We've seen collapse in the last 40 years. Many trace it to the, the revolution, the sexual revolution, and, and all kinds of revolutions that took place in our society back in the 1960s. Yeah, prayer was taken out of the public schools, and, and uh, so much history has been revised since then. And uh, now everything's been turned topsy-turvy, and kids just don't know where to look for that blessing that should have been theirs. That happens. It happened in America. It happened back in Israel. In fact, when they turned away from the God and Father who wanted to bless them and had blessed them, God sent prophet after prophet to them to call the people back to himself because he wanted to bless them. But they refused. And then finally, he sent the prophet Malachi to them who spoke of a judgment that would be coming, the great and terrible day of the Lord. And this is what Malachi said about 400 B.C., speaking for God. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And of course, Jesus said 400 years later, John the Baptist was the one, Elijah, who would speak of his coming. And it would be Jesus who would make the way for fathers to turn their hearts back to the children so children would turn their hearts back to the fathers and the curse could be avoided. That was God's intervention there. But Israel didn't accept it. And so there were 400 years of silence. They looked spiritually alive. They were going through religious motions, but they were spiritually dead. I'm concerned that that's what's been happening in America. Appearing religious, but spiritually dying. There's a fellow by the name of Ken Davis who told a story that I think illustrates this beautifully having the appearance of life but dead, when he said that a woman was doing her dishes one day and was looking out the kitchen window 
and she noticed their family dog, the German Shepherd, shaping, shaking something in its mouth, just shaking it fiercely. And then, to her horror, she realized that was the neighbor's pet rabbit in the dog's mouth. This was bad because they didn't have a good relationship with their neighbor anyway. There had been some problems. And so she grabbed a broom. Anything she could find, she ran out there and started beating that dog over the head with, with that broom until it dropped the rabbit. She looked at that rabbit, and it was really filthy and extremely dead. And she's thinking, oh, what am I going to do? So she takes the, room and scoop, the broom and scoops it up, takes it in, and dumps it in the bathtub. Takes the shower and sprays it off, tips it over and sprays off the other side. Then she thinks, okay, she gets her blow dryer and blows the fur dry on both sides. They found an old comb and combed it out. It, it looked pretty good. And then she noticed the neighbor lady driving out of the driveway. Thought, this is my chance. So she hopped over the back fence and went to the rabbit cage and propped that rabbit up inside there. She didn't want to have anything to do with that. Went back in the house. About an hour later, she heard a scream from the back over the fence. And she ran out there and said to her neighbor lady, what's, what's happened? And the neighbor lady said, I don't know. Our rabbit died four days ago. We buried it, and he's back. <laughs> well, that rabbit looked alive, but he was really dead. And that's what happened with Israel. And I'm concerned that that's what's happened in America. And there's spiritual death and the forefooting of the blessing and exchanging it for a curse. Because the thing is... Um, the Father's blessing intended for all families of the earth when not transmitted results in a curse. But the good news is the Father's blessing is restored. The curse broken through a relationship with the Heavenly Father. <laughs> that is great news, folks. In fact, we see it in the life of Joseph so Joseph is down there, and as I mentioned, he becomes the, the servant of Potiphar. And this is what it says in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him an overseer in his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. Had Joseph gotten to Egypt and just played the victim and thought, God has abandoned me, and this is not fair, and I've been cursed, this wouldn't have happened. But instead he turned to the Lord, and he began to serve faithfully, and God honored him and put him in that position. Now, it just didn't continue well. Life doesn't, right? Because, you know, the part of the story where Potiphar's wife uh, tries to seduce him again and again and finally uh, lies and says he attacked her. So Joseph is thrown into jail. And it is an Egyptian dungeon. It's not a pretty place. And now he could have thought, this is it. I thought it was bad. This is as low and as bad as it gets. God has certainly abandoned me. But he didn't. He continued to trust God 
and serve God even in those dire circumstances. And it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Because even in his circumstances, he trusted God and served. He was fatherless for all practical purposes at this point. But he had a father that he trusted and believed would bless him, and he did. Well, a lot of events take place in the coming chapters, but eventually the Pharaoh has a dream. And somebody remembers that there's a guy in jail that can interpret that dream, so they bring him out, and uh, he certainly can interpret Pharaoh's dream. He gives the glory to God, who he says is the interpreter. But he tells the Pharaoh, there are going to be seven years of abundance in the land and, and just all ample grain, but that'll be followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph goes on to tell him, you really ought to store up the grain for seven years and take any surplus grain so that you'll have enough to weather this famine that is coming. Pharaoh heard this and said, wow, where can we find anyone with such a wise and discerning spirit? Let's put this guy in charge. You take care of this. You administrate this, Joseph. I want you to just tax the people, put it in storage because they're not going to give it to you otherwise, and uh, you're in charge. In fact, here's what he said. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then he gave him his signet ring. He dressed him in fine linen, gave him a gold chain, and he gave him the second chariot, like chariot two, I suppose. And wherever Joseph went... People had to bow down before him. Second in command in the greatest uh, nation uh, of that time. The blessing flowed because he didn't labor under the curse. It was restored, the curse broken, because he trusted God. And folks, that's true in our lives as well. If we choose the blessing over the curse. If we believe that we have a Father in Heaven who will bless us if we do right, no matter what has happened in the past. Instead of nursing the wounds and the hurt that has been inflicted upon us and blaming God and blaming others, trusting our Heavenly Father and walking forward in faith, the blessing then flows into our lives. And so that's what will happen for us. Now, we may not be given uh, the vice presidential slot. We wouldn't want that anyway. But God will bless us if we'll trust him in this circumstance. George Foreman, prize fighter of yesteryear, whose name came to the forefront during Muhammad Ali's service a few weeks ago, uh, he grew up not knowing who was his father. And uh, he married and he had several children, including five sons. And he named them all George, every one of them, because he didn't want any of them to wonder who their daddy was. He understood the value 
of being uh, of a father figure. So, five elements of the blessing, five homes that tend to withhold it, produce seven kinds of people, and it's reflected in that book, The Blessing. And when you read that, you realize, wow, I see some traits of that in my own life. Or maybe I recognize that in other people's lives. But I also recognize that when a person opens their heart to Jesus, that the blessing is restored because he made a way for us to be forgiven. The, the cross breaks the curse. And now we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, but it isn't to end with us. Remember, Abram was blessed so that he could be a blessing. So it is with us. The Father's blessing is conveyed to children and others by the blessed sons and daughters of God. Receive a blessing to be a blessing. Now, sure enough, after the seven years of abundance, here comes the famine. And uh, it was severe, but they were doing okay in Egypt because they had the grain stored up. But up in Canaan, they were hungry. And Jacob says to the boys, I hear they got food in Egypt. I want you to go down and, and buy some and bring it back. And so they go down there and eventually find themselves before this guy who's second in command in Egypt, and they didn't recognize him. But Joseph recognized his brothers, and he played with them for a while, and eventually, there's a lot of details I'm skipping, eventually he revealed himself to his brothers. And he said, I'm Joseph. God sent me down here and has raised me to this position so that I can be a blessing to you guys. There's going to be five more years of famine. Go back and get dad and bring the family down here and I will provide for you. And that's exactly what happened. They came down. He gave them the best of the land. He settled them in the Nile River Delta where they were able to prosper and multiply. Years later, dad died. Jacob died. And now the brothers are scared. And they're thinking, oh, no, we are in trouble. Joseph is going to wreak his vengeance now that dad's gone. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, before dad died, he asked that you would forgive us. Joseph is like, oh, my gosh. They don't get it. He said to them, am I in the place of God? And then he said in chapter 50, verse 20, and you ought to memorize this verse. As for you, you meant, it, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Joseph recognized that the father would use even the heartaches and the hurts in his life as part of the process of enabling him to bless others. And if we can come to that realization that no matter what's happened to us, no matter what we haven't received, no matter where we feel we've been cheated of the blessing, if we'll trust God, our Heavenly Father, He will translate that into healing and blessing that we can bless others with. He'll use the worst of our circumstances for the best of His purposes. But we've got to receive that blessing through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we need to pass it on. And you say, well, my kids are older, they've grown up, and I would like to do some things differently. Wouldn't most of us, if not all of us. And if they're still alive, 
It's not too late. No matter their age, we can bless our children in so many different ways. Maybe some of those five elements would come into play. Guess what? If your parents are still alive, you can bless them in various ways. And, and guess what? If they didn't bless you, they didn't receive the blessing either. And no one did completely. And so we can turn around and bless them. And we can bless siblings and others around us, including the children. And no child should ever come near this church, but they don't just get overflowed with blessing because we know these kids. And we get to know their names. Sometimes I struggle with that. And, and in coming months, we want to do a better job of getting to know the children and involving them with us in worship and, and in serving and in growing together. And as they get into their youth years, their teenage years, boy, that needs to be growing closer and closer in relationship to this family so that we have caring adults who are pouring blessing into the lives of these young people. We can start now, though, as Sunday school teachers, as vacation Bible school teachers, we're going to have kids from, these from the community coming to VBS. Guess what? Some didn't receive the blessing. Some of these kids in our Sunday school are struggling. They just need a caring adult to love them week in and week out. And you can make an un unbelievable difference in a child's life. Or through our Common Grace ministry that's happening up at Palolo Elementary School throughout the school year, just connecting with a kid in the public school and blessing that child uh, with the love of Jesus week in and week out. But in all these relationships, the blessing comes through the love of God. And as Zig Ziglar said, love is spelled T-I-M-E. In our relationship with our kids or anyone, that blessing is going to be there. It's going to come through spending quality, caring time with them. Let me close with just a story that comes out of a, a man's life with his dad, Eric Metaxas. He wrote the book Bonhoeffer, uh, the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a wonderful book, by the way. But recently he's written a couple of other books. One of them is Seven Great Women. Another is Seven Great Men. And he said in a recent interview with Jim Daly of Focus on the Family, he wrote that because he felt like the young people of our generation need to have heroes that are worth looking up to. He said, so often the people that our kids embrace as heroes really aren't worthy of that status. They, they, they uh, have betrayed the very things that we think of when we think of legitimate heroes. He said, for instance, uh, when some of us grew up back in the day in our schoolrooms, we'd have a picture of George Washington up front and, and be told who he was and what kind of a man and the integrity that he had, and he really did. And there's been so much revisionism that has been happening that the heroes have been torn down, and instead others have been lifted up. And so he said he wanted to set that forth. Jim Daly said, well, that's great, but he said, I noticed that you dedicated the book to your dad. And here's what Metaxas said. Well, my dad is still alive by God's grace, but as a father, he wasn't a model father. But one thing I knew, he loved me. When somebody does something for you that you don't really deserve, it's clear they're doing it just because they love you. And that's inspiring. You can get everything else wrong, 
But that's the foundational thing. My dad sacrificially loved us, and as I say, he wasn't perfect, but that was so powerful to me. First thing that God would put in place is that our parents would be heroes to us. Yes, that was God's intention. That our parents would pass on the blessing, they'd be our heroes. Sometimes that's shattered. We can honor our parents no matter what, and we're called to do so, to honor them, to bless them, even if they've let us down. But I'll tell you, you have a Father in Heaven who should be a hero to you because He's given sacrificially everything He had so that you could have a relationship with Him that would last forever. And He wants to bless you today and every day as you open your heart to this Heavenly Father. Don't ignore the offer. Embrace it and embrace Him as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And as you do so, you're going to find you'll receive the blessing every day and you'll be able to pass it on so others will be blessed as well. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we're so grateful. We didn't deserve this blessing, but you gave it to us anyway at great cost. And I pray that each one of us in our unique circumstance or situation today will avail ourselves of your love and blessing. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here today who hasn't yet opened their heart to you, come to realize there's a Father who loves them enough to send a Savior into the world to die and to make a way to be forgiven and to be welcomed into your family. I pray that today she or he would say, Yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. I receive you into my life. And thank you for your forgiveness and for welcoming me into your forever family. Lord, we're so grateful for your blessing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.